Amundsen. My name is Ryan Miner. I am your host of a Minor Detail Radio podcast, where the minor details of every story matter. Each week, I talk to Maryland newsmakers, from elected officials, journalists, political candidates, to policy wonks, and everyday Marylanders. A Minor Detail podcast is the fusion between Maryland news and politics. Real people, real stories, honest conversation. You can also follow us on the web at aminordetail.com. Sit back, relax, and have fun. Well, welcome to the weekend, everyone. My name is Ryan Miner, and thank you for tuning in to a Minor Detail radio podcast. Happy Veterans Day, or to all the veterans uh, out there, thank you for your service. Never forget, and thank you for, well, you know, words are even difficult to express um, how grateful we are as a country. My two grandfathers proudly served our country, one during World War II, and of course, my other grandfather, my late grandfather, Robert Scott Miner, who is deceased, uh, he served in uniform for 38 years of his life um, in the, uh, the the Air Force and made it all the way up to the highest enlisted rank of chief. And I'm so proud of him. And he was one of my heroes. And we lost him too soon um, when he went hunting back in 2009, uh, two days after Thanksgiving. But we remember all of our veterans today. And, you know, on behalf of a grateful nation, um, thank you. But tonight we have a special episode, uh, maybe no different than our regular Sunday night show, but my good friend Lynn Foxwell is joining me to talk about the election results. The election's over, the midterms have happened, and this is a Maryland-centric show. We talk about Maryland politics, we talk about Maryland news, we talk with Maryland newsmakers, and what an election election it was, Lynn. Hey, welcome to the show. Brian, it's so great to be back. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for joining the show tonight. We went through a, a great cycle. You and I have talked a lot about the election and the candidates, and we were together on primary night over in Wet City. We had a blast having some beers. Uh, and we talked a lot about uh, the different elections and the races that um, were going to make Maryland a, a different kind of state. And speaking of which... Um, Lynn, I was down in your neck of the woods this weekend in Talbot County, which, by the way, it is an absolute pleasure. Once you get across that Bay Bridge, you go into almost a different world, and it feels so much different from where we are in the hustle and bustle of Annapolis. And I know you experience the best of both worlds coming across the bridge to work in Annapolis each day for uh, the comptroller. And but when you get over in Talbot County. It's not that things slow down. It's just an easier pace, and it just feels more at home. It feels so much like Western Maryland to me. And I told my wife, I said, we really need to consider relocating here. That's something that we've been talking about for a while, and I think we're just going to have to pull the plug, Lynn. 
Well, Ryan, first of all, thank you so much for spending time down here at the Waterfowl Festival. Uh, it's been going on now for nearly 40 years. Actually, actually I think just over 40 years. And that event, uh, which occurs on an annual basis, and the same time every year, second Saturday in November, uh, it starts on Thursday, actually, and goes right on through Sunday afternoon. That event really does showcase Talbot County and the Eastern Shore at its absolute best. It, we're at the prime foliage site. It's at right at the prime point in the in the fall foliage cycle, and you have anywhere from 20 to 30,000 people just walking the streets with their dogs, buying art, drinking wine, looking mm-hmm. at some of the best uh, decoy carvers in the world, showcasing their wares, and it is just a and a and and not, and all of it. I mean, all of it is volunteer-driven. And not only does it show Talbot County at its aesthetic best, it also shows our, what, everything that makes our community so special because the money raised by the Waterfowl Festival is reinvested in countless community-based and uh, wildlife and waterfowl conservation causes. Um, so it's the money you spent down here, and I did hear that you spent so much money down here with Kim that the Talbot County finance officers are about to write up our uh, fall revenue forecast. So as a grateful taxpayer, I'm glad you spent a couple of days down here, but you know, Ryan, I was thinking, you know, um, this show that you do now on a, on a regular basis, Sunday nights and a special yeah. points during the campaign, you know, you're the new cracker barrel of, uh, of Maryland politics. And I think about when I was coming up in politics all those years ago, there was a little restaurant in Easton called the H&G. And any old-timers who are listening to it, listening to the show this evening, will remember it. It was just, an, just a humble old breakfast counter uh, right out on Route 50, but all the politicos, the courthouse crowd, the county councilman, the register, the sheriff, <laughs> would get there and have a second cup of coffee and – have some hmm. eggs and scrapple and just say, what are you hearing out there? What's the vibe <laughs> on the street? Who's who's up? Who's down? Who's going to win? Who's going to run? Ryan, we don't have that anymore just because it's just not how we live our lives. But but shows like this, shows like a minor detail, are really that 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 community gathering point where the politicos of the day can get together and exchange gossip, tall tales, intel, and you perform an invaluable function. And it's just such a such a pleasure and an honor for me to be a small part of it. So again, well, thanks for having me. Well, then I appreciate that. And I think that the, um, what I want a minor detail radio to be and to anyone who's listening is the political water cooler, uh, the proverbial water cooler where people come and listen to what's going on in state politics. And they don't have to necessarily, they don't have to agree with my opinion, <clears throat> but I just hope people can tune in and uh, be part of the show. And I get reader feedback and listener feedback uh, from the website and uh, from this show, we did a lot of we did a lot of episodes in the last couple of weeks. We talked with candidates, talked with you, uh, had an election night panel that re- went really well. Had some some stellar people on the panel who know Maryland politics inside and out, who gave a, a an excellent perspective. And that's what I hope this show becomes. And there's other people out um, occupying similar territory. A new podcast, Elevate Maryland. They're doing some good stuff. And uh, mm-hmm. then you have Maryland Matters. Josh Kurtz, is he's taking a piece of the marketplace. And, of course, you have the institutional press. You have uh, the, the Post, the Sun. Uh, and, but uh, and I'm thinking that podcasts like a minor detail radio podcast, one of many, will become the future of how people consume their news 
and how people learn about candidates and learn about policy and learn about what's happening in Annapolis during uh, the, the session and can have an honest and fair conversation and listen in and communicate with some of our elected officials. Because if you think about it, Len, Maryland is we're not a huge state. We have what about six million people, I think. And that's right. You know, and then we have the representatives and it, in the political world in Maryland, it feels like a big family. And the single biggest task that I think people expect from me is to connect the, pol- the politicians, the elected officials, directly to the people. And this show, at least I think so, is a platform for that. And people can call in and have an honest discussion, ask questions, and present uh, commentary. And you know, we, uh, we can have a a nice civil conversation, which is oftentimes in our political world is lacking. So, you know, Lynn, talking about civility, I have to say, I have to give credit to um, the, uh, some of the politicians that ran and some of the candidates. We, we saw some of the very best in Maryland this past Tuesday. And I want to start out not at the governor's race. You and I will get to that and we can talk about the governor's race ad nauseum. But I first want to talk about something that I witnessed, not personally, but through the media. I want to talk about what happened in Howard County, because I think this is mm-hmm. a moment that you and I and the rest of the state of Maryland, and for that matter, <laughs> countrywide, we can celebrate as a moment of civility. Alan Kittleman, the incumbent Republican county executive of Howard County, he lost a race to Calvin Ball. And that was always a tight race from the outset. We, it could have gone either way. Some people said Alan Kittleman, he had the incumbent's advantage. I think there was even a poll that showed him that he had an advantage in that race. But Alan lost that race, and he did so like a gentleman with pure class. So much so, when he lost the race, he went to Calvin Ball's election night party and gave him a hug. And I believe he congratulated him. And to me... That shows the class and the character of a man that is Alan Kittleman, and I'll never forget that scene, and I'm glad that they captured that moment in photography, Lynn. It was also a a stroke of sheer political brilliance. I mean, I'm not suggesting for a second that it was not heartfelt on County Executive Kittleman's behalf. He's always been a a gentleman. People who have worked with him down in Annapolis all these years when he served Howard County so well in the state Senate, eventually became Senate, major- Senate Minority Leader. Everyone who, who knows the man and who has worked alongside the man knows he's a good guy. Uh, and he's a, he's a thoughtful, responsible gentleman from the old school. He's also a very, very good politician. And I found it was interesting. Uh, a couple of days later, after the election, you probably saw it on Maryland Matters uh, Website, Kurtz, the esteemed political reporter, uh, beyond compare in this state, he put out the early betting line for 2022 because, like you said, Ryan, we're politicos. One election ends and we're already looking ahead to the next one. Alan Kilman's name was on that list. And one of the things that Josh cited was that moment where he went to Calvin Ball's headquarters and gave him a hug and uh, and r- reminded people of a of an era of of civility and respect that has long been thought to be gone in this day and age of personal and partisan political warfare. And 
um, someone with someone who demonstrates that level of decency and exhibits those types of political instincts can't be discounted. Cannot be so, discounted. Good on, good on him. Good on Alan Kittleman. I'm excited to see what kind of administration Calvin Ball is setting up. Howard County is a purple district. The council, they've been in, they've had some, their fair share of issues. Um, of course, without men- mentioning the obvious, and well, I'll mention it, but the Ellicott City, the flooding, that had to be an impactful political moment. It had to be a decider for many people who say, who looked at Calvin Ball and said, all right, let's give this guy a try and see what he can come up with because we can't continue to, to, to allow these floods. And I'm not saying it, this is by no way indicative of the way that Alan Kittleman um, ran his administration. And it's certainly not, that wouldn't even be close to fair, but I think that people voted on that issue and the, the person who's in power takes the brunt and they take the beating. So I think, um, alongside of, of that and the, the national democratic fervor that happened nationwide, I think that's one of the reasons why Alan Kittleman lost. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But, Lynn, let's start at the top. Governor Larry Hogan reelected as the first Republican governor, I think the, the second Republican governor ever reelected, and at least the first since the 1950s, since Theodore McKeldin. And, the great uh, Ted Benkelden, and he wins with a wins decisively. It was a romp, fifty six to forty three, an outcome that was uh, that was seldom in doubt over the course of this campaign. But I, I do want to go back, if I can, to Howard County. Please, we'll, we'll, pivot, we'll pivot back to the governor's race here in just a second. But I think what was happening in Howard County, if, if you look at if you look at the voting the voter registration data. In Howard County, it is still a two and a half to one voter registration advantage in Howard County, and so I, I think there was always an element of political algebra that was playing out there in that in that in that deep blue jurisdiction where there were between the between the natural inclinations of the electoral base and everything that was happening at the national level with with Trump and the Republicans in Congress, and this is a progressive. Democratic voting base, there was going to be, I think there was going to be a, a definite appetite for a, a Democratic market correction. And to a large extent, they were looking for the issue that would give them permission to come home. And I talked to several people in Howard County in the weeks leading up to the race and I, up to the election. And I said, well, is it, is it Ellicott City? Is it the flood? Is it the, 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 conversation about overdevelopment at the top of the hill is that's what is that what's happening here and everyone who whose opinions i truly respect there said no it's a party line vote it's yep. a uh, uh and it's a it's a reaction of trump that's one of those jurisdictions where trump had an impact here in the state of maryland there were others but that definitely manifested itself in Howard County because it is a county caught between Baltimore and Washington, but it is a high information, highly educated progressive voter base that, that does lean in terms of um, the the electorate more toward Washington as a center of gravity. So you definitely saw that manifested. I'm not sure how much there was, I'm not sure how much Alan Kilman could have done to forestall that tide. It's a good politician, but I agree with you. Calvin Ball is a good man. He's a good politician. He's empathetic. He's smart. He's pragmatic. And, I, and he's been a friend of mine for a very long time. And I can't wait to see 
what he puts together because he really does have the tools to be something special. Um, with that said, let's get back to the governor's race. Well, the governor's race, like you said, it was predicted that Governor Larry Hogan would win, and it looks like towards the end of the race, Mr. Jealous did tighten the margins just slightly, but the polls consistently had Mr. Jealous losing by double digits, upwards of anywhere between 14 and 22 points, and that was right around the margin. And the strategy of the Jealous campaign, one, was to turn out the younger voters and to ensure that the Democrats turned out en masse, thinking that this was a this was a huge election year. Democrats did turn out big all across the country. But the problem that he had was that Larry Hogan was an, a, is a popular Republican incumbent. And forget party labels for a second. Larry Hogan's just popular, 65, 66, and maybe around, I don't know, where it is now today. It could be above 65%, maybe at 70% mm-hmm. of Marylanders. Look at Larry Hogan either somewhat favorably or just plain old favorably. And they saw that, and it's really hard in an election year to be a change agent running against someone who people are, for the most part, content with. That's a difficult position to be in. And Ben Jealous, he ran a campaign that largely, from my perspective, focused on more so of national issues. And Democrats, time and again, Lynn, they tried to tie Larry Hogan in with Donald Trump, saying that, well, even though that Hogan says he didn't vote for Trump and that he's stood up against Trump, it wasn't bold enough. It wasn't audacious enough. And Larry Hogan still wasn't is not strong enough on Donald Trump. And come to find out, people in Maryland, they dislike Trump immensely. <clears throat> he has a terrible approval rating. But still, that didn't affect Larry Hogan. He wasn't caught up in that. And the same can be said for Charlie Baker up in Massachusetts, who won by even bigger margins than Larry Hogan in a state that's arguably just as democratic right. or even more. So the, the national Trump uh, anger that people felt, and it was palpable. It was a tangible anger. I feel it every single day watching this president and embarrassing stuff that, we, that, should, that presidents just should not do. And they saw Larry Hogan and they said, I'm sorry, this just doesn't apply. And, you know, I put out a post today. Democrats, Lynn, they were seemingly shocked that some members of the Democratic Party in Maryland simply just didn't vote straight blue. I saw posts that you were involved in on other threads where people said they were criticizing your boss for not getting involved. And we'll talk about that. But nonetheless, they expect that their Democratic leaders to vote straight Democrat. But as we see in Maryland politics, it's not always like that, Um, you know. Let's go back a couple of years uh, to, to William Donald Schaefer. Remember his lieutenant governor, Len? <laughs> Melvin Mickey Steinberg. Melvin Mickey Steinberg, a legend in Maryland politics. They the never Senate got President. along. Yeah, I mean, think about it. They, they battled out publicly, yeah. him and Schaefer, for years. I was just a small kid, and I remember that. And then remember what happened in 94? He went up against... Steinberg became the uh, – he, he ran in the Democratic primary. He lost to Glenn Denning, and then what happened in 98? Steinberg endorsed Ellen Sauerbrey. Stuff it happens sure all the time. <laughs> yeah, this stuff happens all the time. 
And so, well, you know, you, people, you, you've unpacked a lot. You've, you've unpacked a lot of issues, and, and I'll, I'll just say one of the perhaps the most important thing you said there, and all of it's important because everything you say is important, Ryan. But one of the things I I, I particularly found interesting was that you said that uh, that yes, there's a lot of Trump anger out there. And yes, Democrats around around the state, as was the case around the country, did do well. I mean, obviously, Democrats regained the House, regained control of the House of Representatives at the federal level, and in Maryland, um, uh, Democrats on the House side actually picked up a few seats, and the Senate uh, only lost one seat for the Democrats. So it was a pretty darn good cycle for Democrats here at the state levels as it was at the federal level. What we saw were Marylanders giving themselves permission to think, to <laughs> consider each candidate, each candidacy on its respective merits, and to vote Republican at the top, but then go back across the ballot line and vote Democratic for their state legisl- you know, for their state legislators and maybe for their county councilman or the county executive, but maybe you know, there's a Republican uh, sheriff that they are state's attorney. They may like, they'll switch back. I think we saw a, a, you know, a refreshing return to ticket splitting in, uh, in 2018. And to me, I'm, I'm an eternal optimist. I think that is reflective of a more engaged, higher information electorate. I don't like those signs. when you go along major quarters, primarily in the metropolitan areas of our state, it just says vote for the Democrats or, yeah. You know, vote for the R's, vote red. You know what? That's that. It's it, it not only is it a flawed political model that doesn't reflect how we live these days. It's insulting to the people because it assumes we don't have a brain and we just we all we have all all we're capable of doing is just going into the polls and just voting a straight party line without considering the merits and the qualifications of the respective candidates. We saw that this year, and what did we get in response? Well, you know, the best man won in the governor's race. The best man won. At the same time, the Democrats have now a really deep and impressive bench. Some really oh. strong rising stars like Angela Osterbrooks from Prince George's and Johnny Olszewski in Baltimore County. We talked Calvin about Ball. Calvin Ball and Howard. How about Stu Pittman down in Anne Arundel County? Oh, talk I mean, about an smart upset. Guy. Talk about the yeah. biggest upset for me. I had pegged that Steve Shu, who was a well-known guy, the county executive, would cruise to re-election, and was I ever wrong? That night when Stuart Pittman won, that to me said, there is a tidal wave in this country. There is a wave, and it happened up in Frederick County. Bill Folden said the wave was real, and he didn't, he didn't know how to surf. Bill Folden up in 3B, defeated by Ken Kerr, who's a member of the Frederick County Board of Education. And talk about, talk about this Stuart Pittman. Look, the Demo- I think the council even went Democratic, and it happened in a couple mm-hmm. of different places, in Frederick and I believe in Dorchester, if I'm not mistaken. Dorch- was it, Dor- uh, Dor- Dor- uh, Talbot actually elected a, a uh, Democratic council member for the first time in – since 2010, and, and who was that? You know, uh, the last the last Democratic County Council member was Phil Foster, and this year an Eastern Council member, a very smart guy named Pete Lesher. You'd like mm. him. He actually serves as the chief curator at the uh, and historian at the Chesapeake Bay Maritime Museum. 
the two yeah. of you could get together and talk about and talk about ancient ships and starboards uh, until my eyes glaze over. But you saw this all around. You saw you saw voters in, in quote unquote traditionally red jurisdictions going and voting for Democratic candidates like Ann Coltlitis and in Anne Arundel County, and you mentioned certain Democrats uh, on the Anne Arundel County Council, and then and then vice and then vice versa. You also saw good qualified uh, Republicans, uh, you know, winning elected office for the first time. And I think what we have, I'm a Democrat, so I'm going to focus on my party. We have a bench now that is younger, smarter, and more innovative in their approach to public policy in their approach to um, policy challenges than what we had before. Whereas we, you know, uh, you know, if, if this show was taking place in June, we would have been talking about the aging, the aging old outdated machine. Well, Ryan, look mm. what we have now. We have, we have Mary Washington and Corey McRae and Antonio Hayes um, to go along with, you know, and the aforementioned new County executives to go along with, Young smart people like uh, uh, like Andrew Friedson in Montgomery County, my old colleague, and Jake Day down Absolutely. in Salisbury. These are people with these are people of um, Katie Fry Hester up in Caroline County. I'm sorry, not Caroline, Carroll County. Uh, Unseated long-term incumbent, um, veteran state senator Gail Bates up in District Nine. <laughs> Nobody she's saw smart. that she coming. Money she organized. No, but she was a good candidate. And she's going to be a damn good state senator. I guarantee it. I've gotten to know her over the course of this race. You're going to like her. Um, I, I think. I think this is a case. We always look at the bad in politics. Let's take. Let's take a moment when it happens, to um, to focus on the good. A smart, educated, informed electorate has yielded a better crop of elected official. And for all that, for, for all for that. We should all be quite happy. Well, not only looking at, I want to talk now, you know, we talked about the governor's race and what more is there to say? I mean, we could go into the analysis that PG County voted overwhelmingly for, for Ben Jealous, but I will say that look where, look where Governor Hogan made inroads at, look where he, he had gains. And one of those gains was of course in Montgomery County, got 44%. That's almost unheard of for a Republican. Now, no, no Republican was elected in Montgomery County to the state House or the state Senate, and I don't anticipate that happening at any time in the near future. But look where Governor Hogan made his inroads. And the facts are, here are the facts, and, and I strongly believe this, and, um, and I, well, I take it as a fact. People like Governor Hogan, and he really won this race. As, and I, I'll piggyback off my friend uh, Michael Dresser uh, of famous reporter here over at the Baltimore Sun, who's soon, who's soon going to be retiring from journalism, said that yeah, people like loss. Larry... Yeah, it is a, it's a tremendous loss. And mm-hmm. this race was won when Governor Hogan publicly battled cancer and then when he came out during the Baltimore City riots. People saw their governor in action. They saw somebody who didn't act like a politician, but instead acted like a human being. And to me, that was everything that I needed to see from a governor. And there's policy issues that you can disagree with Larry Hogan on. But if you look at how he managed a crisis and how he battled in his personal 
issues. That to me said a lot. And people truly related to that. And forget about policy for a second, because if you if you take the average voter, and this is not a diss on the average voter, but people often go to the polls, Lynn, and they vote on how somebody makes them feel. And that's just that's just how politics work. And Larry Hogan connected with the hearts and minds, whereas Ben Jealous, who may have had a, a, a policy platform that was well thought out, he simply just didn't connect. I don't think he connected. I don't think he had the money. I don't think he had the infrastructure. And in fact, Democrats tell me that they begged and pleaded with Mr. Jealous's campaign to bring out yard signs, to bring out basic campaign materials, flyers, uh, walklet. And it just seems like he had a strong operation maybe in Montgomery County, Silver Spring, PG County, you know, close to D.C., Lynn. But it just didn't connect in some of the more rural territories where there are Republicans – you you know you take Ben Jealous and you put him up in Hagerstown, it doesn't work. It just does not compete. Well, let's talk, well, I think you're right. Listen, I mean there were a lot of things going. On. There were there was a lot of churn out there. First, Larry Hogan is an absolutely singular politician. Uh, he is he has as clear and as sharply defined a political antenna as anybody who's ever taken the oath of office. He's an extremely gifted politician who really does, in the words of Josh Kurt, seem to have found a sweet spot in Maryland politics. And for that, I salute him. Ben Jealous was not a good candidate. He was a first-time candidate, and I say this all the time because we, we always fantasize about the you know, the knight riding in on the white horse from outside of the political process, outside of the electoral process, and capturing the hearts and minds of the electorate. You know, And it very seldom happens that way, okay, because – this is a job like anything else. Uh, you don't, you don't, uh, you don't enter the field of medicine as the chief of staff at a major metropolitan hospital. Yep. You don't enter the field of law as a managing partner at a K Street law firm. And just as silly to think that you're going to come in and start your political career as an elected official as the governor of a state. It just, it very, it's not to say it never happens. It's just really infrequently happens that way. So you had a you had a an inexperienced candidate who, in retrospect, had had you know had political limitations, and he ran a poor campaign. He's a great guy. I've gotten to know him. He's a smart man. He's a good man. But not everyone else cut out to be a, a, a candidate for higher office. So you had a good Republican candidate against a limited Democratic candidate who came out of the June primary broke. Hogan went up on the airwaves even before the primary and stayed up right on through November 6th, and in so doing was able to define Ben Jealous as an extremist, a radical, who has, you know, pie-in-the-sky ideas and is going to fund them through higher taxes and excessive spending and unsustainable debt. That perception stuck. He, there's nothing he could do. But let me say something also, because you, you've touched, you, you were touch, you're touching on the inroads. And I want to talk about, I want to approach it from a different way. If you look at these county by county re- results, you know, in Harford County, which is a place that Peter Frangio won decisively, by the way, um, Harford for County for the first not time, right? Democrat. Harford County has not elected a, a, a countywide Democrat since Eileen, since Eileen Rearman, the ha- Harford County executive won her second and final term in 1994. Mm. Um, and Louis Goldstein also carried Harford in 1994, so we're going back 24 years. 
Peter Francho carried Harford on Tuesday night. That was occurring as, as the Hogan Rutherford team was beating Jealous Turnbull seventy seven to twenty one. Wow. Uh you go you, you go to Carroll County and uh there you know, that's not a small county. Uh Hogan eighty three eighty four jealous fifteen. Fifteen percent okay, Lynn. Fifteen percent. Fifteen percent. Saint Mary's County, seventy seven to twenty two. Uh, Caroline, you know, and I'm just, and so you can argue some of these counties are are small, and but you know what? Uh, we don't have an electoral college here. A vote in Caroline County counts as every bit as much as one in Montgomery County. Yeah. Um, Eighty-three to sixteen in Caroline County. The jealous campaign was was not dissimilar in its in its political premise to that of the Brown Almond campaign in 2014. It was based on maximization of the Democratic base as opposed to going out and expanding their market constituency. And, Ryan, I always liken it to Coke and Pepsi, okay, <laughs> because, because the marketing of a product is not that dissimilar to the marketing of a, of a political campaign or a political candidate. If, if you and I are working for Coke and we do our market research and we realize – that we are losing market share to Pepsi with every category of consumer except for maybe, say, white males 50 to 69. For some reason, they're sticking with us, right? Everyone yep. else is going to Pepsi. Well, we have a choice to make, don't we? We can either, we can either sit down and figure out what it's going to take to win those constituencies back through a better product, through better marketing, through direct outreach, through focus groups, or we can just assume that those white males, age 50 to 69, are going to sit down on the couch and drink an additional two-liter bottle of Coke every night, and that's how we're going to make up, uh, that, and that's how we're going to make our money. The flawed strategy, and you can, and a major party candidate will never win, uh, will never win a statewide election losing, losing, you know, uh, mid-tier outer suburban and uh, rural counties by that, by that margin, there just aren't enough votes in Baltimore city, Prince George's and Montgomery to make up the deficit. Not when you're also losing Baltimore County by a 61 to 39 margin and losing Anne Arundel County by an even more decisive margin. Yeah. The math just doesn't work anymore. So my, I guess my question to you, it's your show, but I'll ask a question. Do you think that the Democrats have learned their lesson now that we are now, we've now gone two and three in gubernatorial elections since the start of the 21st century? I think that they need to find the right candidate that appeals to the electorate in all 23 of Maryland's counties, someone who can have crossover appeal and who is not always just party line who has strong values and who might be uh, a center-right or a center-left candidate. I think Marylanders appreciate someone who's in the middle of the political spectrum and not on the hard edges of either side. Lynn, if we can find that in either side, and we found it in Larry Hogan because he's proven it. He's governed as a moderate, and Democrats can make the argument that he's governed as a Democrat and he's really only passing legislation that's Democrat. I reject that argument because I think that's I think that's overcompensating 
But I will say that if Democrats can find a candidate, crossover appeal, someone like Peter Francho, your boss, who is the most popular elected Democrat in the state of Maryland, again, yeah, how many votes did he get, Lynn? How many? My goodness. Uh, with a few votes still hanging out there, you know, the militaries and the provisionals, he is now at 1.534 million votes. That is, by a commanding margin, the largest vote for a midterm candidate in Maryland state history. In Peter Francho. The did only he, guy who is the only guy who's who has ever received more votes in a statewide election than Peter did on Tuesday night, Chris Van Hollen, uh, our state senator, or I'm sorry, our, our junior United States senator, won re-election in 2016. But that was a presidential year where the turnout yeah. was far higher. Uh, so more than 1.5. He um, he, uh, he he won in, he won in places that have been written off by the Democrats for years. Harford, Carroll, listen to these counties, Harford, Carroll, Allegheny, Caroline, Talbot, Wicomico, Worcester, one Calvert County, the ancestral home of Louis Goldstein, the current political power base of Mike Miller, Peter Franco went, and they haven't elected, they haven't elected a statewide, a state official, given a plurality to a state official in years, Peter Franco went down in one Calvert County on Tuesday. I wonder. Um, it was. You think of. I was going to say. I was. I was just thinking out loud, Lynn. When Mike Miller walks into the voting booth, and even though he, even though he, publicly came out for Ben Jealous, probably because it's the party line thing to do. I wonder if he right. thought twice and said, "Hmm, maybe I'm going to pull that lever for Larry Hogan because I know I can work with him. I know Larry, and I know that yeah." He's going to do his thing, and I'm going to do mine. But even you got to wonder, when these guys get in the voting booth, who do they pull the lever for? And it's fascinating, isn't it? Wouldn't you just love to be a fly on the right side of that little voting table we got? Well, I think people say and do things publicly that they don't always carry through into the, elect, into the ballot box. And when you're sitting you – know, it's just you, and you're standing there. And it's just you and your ballot and your ink pen. And when you circle those boxes, I think people make game time decisions at that point. It's happened to me many times where I've walked in thinking, man, I just can't do this. In 2016, it happened to me. I said, I just can't sit this one out and vote libertarian because I wasn't I sure as hell wasn't going to vote for Trump. And I said, I got to, You know what? I don't agree with Hillary Clinton, but man, I cannot look my kids in the face and say, I didn't do something to stop this madness. And I circled her name and it was a decision I made when I walked in there and I said, I got to do it. And, uh, I told my wife and she says, wow, I'm, I, I'm, I'm surprised. Uh, cause I hadn't, I was going to vote for Gary Johnson. And I just said, mm-hmm. I can't, I can't do it. I, I have to do this. Um, because you know, if the worst happens and, and it did, Donald Trump was elected what would I say that I didn't? I couldn't stop it. But uh, now that's just that's sure. just me, and people are different. But you know, Lynn, thinking about some of these other races, um, the Attorney General Brian Frosch, he handedly won a second term, and people say that he he might run for governor. He could run for governor in 2022. But 
Um, maybe not. I, I don't know. It, attorney generals do have a history of running for governor, but it's hard to be elected from Montgomery County as governor, isn't it, Lynn? It's uh, you know I think historically it has been, and and that's and that's why that's why it hasn't it certainly hasn't happened for a while. I think some of the I think some of those old uh, I think some of those old lines of division they seem to be they seem to be eroding seem to be going away. Listen, I was I worked for I worked for Paris Glendening, and you mentioned him earlier. 1994, he won by we won by 5,991 votes over Ellen yeah. Sauerbrey, and then four <laughs> years later was subsequently reelected by a commanding 55-45 margin. He himself had been the first governor from Prince George's County. Since the redoubtable Odin Bowie held yep. that same office in the late 1860s um, or late 1870s, I apologize. So, you know, th- those statistics they're 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 made to be uh, they're made to be updated constantly. I think if you have the right candidate who does what people like Peter French are proven able to do, which is show up for work every day, do a good job because you know if you if you if you, if you handle your job. You're handling your career, right? We've heard that said before. Yeah. If you get out and you talk to voters around the state, not just in the I-95 corridor, but in every corner of the state, because every because those people in Cecil County and St. Mary's and Worcester, they're paying they're paying every bit as much in you know every bit as much in of a share of their tax dollars as 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 people are in Montgomery and Baltimore and Howard counties, right? We we all live under one income tax statute right um you do your job you show up everywhere and you demonstrate you demonstrate an understanding of and an appreciation for the local issues stop trying to nationalize everything do what peter has done go into kent county understand that they're trying to the state highway administration is about to um shut down the one bridge in and out of town in the peak of the summer tourist season yep Fight to help those and fight to help those people by keeping the bridge open and you know until the until the summer tourist season is over, or fight for air conditioning for the kids in Baltimore County and Baltimore City uh, who don't have the one you know the climate control classrooms everyone else takes for granted. Show that you get it. Show that you actually care about these voters as people and not just as a political commodity. You can do it. Doesn't care, matter where you're from. It's, it's not that hard. Um, well, Peter on Peter's from Montgomery County. On Tuesday night, he carried 20 out of the 24 jurisdictions in the state. That's incredible. That's incredible. And and looking ahead, and the the person who is in charge of our taxes, the tax man, that there's no partisan labels. And the Democrats get on Peter's case because he's he stayed out of the race and said I have to work with either either one of them. And some Democrats, and I want to point this out. Some Democrats, like Martin O'Malley, and we saw it because young O'Malley was on Twitter and uh, I guess was trying to be snarky. And I, you know, I, if I were to give uh, William O'Malley some advice, I would say if you're if you if your dad <laughs> wants to run for office, you know, cut the crap. You know, don't be doing this kind of stuff because that's going to come back and hit him again if he wants to run in 2020. You know, being snarky and mean spirited to people who care and give a damn about our state. Don't do that crap. 
And the young O'Malley tweeted that his dad sent him a text message, and he showed the text message that he wrote his name in for Comptroller. But do you, you know, Len, you made a joke on my status. You know, do you really blame him given the public spat that Comptroller Franchise yeah, had I, with? If I, was, you know, if I was, if I was, Martin, if I was Martin's kid, knowing the battles that Peter and Martin had, I probably would have done the same thing. You know, <laughs> I, I, I get it. he's yeah, the, the kid, the kid's being a good son. Um, I, I'm mm-hmm. gonna, yeah, I don't, yeah, whatever. Uh, yeah, actually, it's funny. Actually, you know, for all their for all their spats and for all the the ridicule to which Governor O'Malley is subjected today, I actually really like the guy. Um, he's he's not politically my cup of tea necessarily, um, but you know he uh, he was never afraid to put big ideas on the table, um, and and. He, he was he was never you know he was never he was never afraid to go and do things that maybe um, were thought to be ahead of their time or politically untested or have a big political downside. He did it, and um, you don't have to, and I, maybe what you're going back to. You don't necessarily have to like a person or to support their whole political platform to at least respect them and and their ideas and. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not optimistic on this point. I would like to think that maybe at some point we can get back to that, because I think that I think that I think that very basic fundamental respect um, is something that's that's been lost in this era of 24-hour cable news, where it's just success goes to the, those who can shout the loudest and the longest, and this age of social media, where everyone is more aggressive and vicious when they're behind the anonymity of a computer screen. Yeah, I'd like to see us get back to the point where we can actually sit down and talk through our disagreements. I'd like to happen, but we can hold. I'd like to see people get together over breakfast in Talbot County on Tilmington Island at the place that I went to this morning, an old country place called To It By Sea that hands down has the best on the eastern shore. And you go in the back room and you sit across the table from one another and you get your crabs, you get your. your crab patties and your pancakes and you you have a cup of coffee and orange juice and you talk it out. I'm really tired of people hiding behind the anonymity of their computer screens because people say some of the worst God awful things I've ever seen written. And then you get them in person and you say, well, that he or she they they seem like a decent person. Why is it that they, right, not change that their, their, why do they change their demeanor when they get behind the computer screen? I see that all the time, Lynn, you and I've, witnessed it and these people are probably pretty good people and they just feel empowered by that social media we've got to get away from it it's destroying civility it's destroying face-to-face conversations i'd much rather go drive down to anne arundel county or i'd drive down to uh you know to wooster county or uh wicomico to meet somebody if i had a disagreement with and sit down and talk to them and 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 have a conversation so you know, back to the, the the election results, Lynn. Were you surprised by the way or how poorly the Republicans did? I mean, they lost eight seats in the House and then the state Senate. They had a good concept, the drive for five. And who won, Lynn? It was and, – and surprisingly so, they hung on to Ron Young's seat. Kathy Klausmeyer, she hung in there against Christian Mealy, who was another – uh, rising star in Maryland politics, a good and decent guy who worked really hard and almost pulled it out. Ron Young uh, against Craig Giangrande up in District 3. 
the young name indoors in Frederick County uh, and his son, Brad Young, reelected to the Board of Education. But on the eastern shore, the lower shore, as they say, old Jim Mathias couldn't make it, couldn't pull it out, but lost to a formidable opponent, Mary Beth Carosa. Well, let me just say something about that, because I called Jim the next morning uh, yeah, as I was uh, driving back to Annapolis from, um, from, from College Park. I called Jim, and it sounded good. He was, you know, it's, it's never it's never easy the morning after no. uh, a, a tough a tough election night. But he he was frankly sounded a lot better than I expected him to. And he said, "I'm just sorry I couldn't get it done." And I said, "I said, Jim, let me just say this: a lesser politician would have probably lost as far back as 2010 to to Mike James because that district has been." has been steadily becoming more Republican with each passing year. Uh, it, it, it is becoming more Republican. It's becoming steadily more conservative. Larry Hogan is wildly popular there. Donald Trump uh, is highly popular on the lower shore. And uh, Andy Harris dominated in his reelection campaign against Jesse Colvin, who ran a remarkable campaign. But, 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 but Jim Mathias hung on through 2010, hung on through 2014 against a popular Republican delegate, a Mike McDermott, and then finally yep. the district caught up with him. So, you know, when I think about Jim Mathias, uh, I don't think of a guy who, you know, who lost in 2018. I think of someone who's very singular political skills and his ability to connect on a personal level with the families in his district kept him, kept him in long after his natural shelf expiration date. And I hope he comes back. I'd like to see him back in elected office at some point. I don't know what that would be. Uh, first of all, I hope he gets some rest. Hope he gets a chance to reconnect with his amazing uh, girlfriend, Elizabeth, and then uh, gets back and engages because we, we need more people like Jim in this political business and not fewer. You know, but, but, you know, but uh, you're right. Here's another race for you. With all the time of races. How about Sarah Elforth? I'm uh, no, just going to say there's... that. Just 30. Man, she is someone, she's a, she's a woman who, a young woman, uh, I'm not even sure if she's 30 years old, but she went in and knocked on doors, you know, one round after another. I mean, it was out on the streets every night hitting doors and uh, making it. phone and calls. Just, and she wanted it. She hustled. And yep. I tell you what, she's going to be, she's, She's going to be a damn good state senator, um, and she's. I always say in my own business, uh, you, know, I, I, you know where I work. I, I'm Peter Francis, chief of staff. I'm also a professor at, uh, adjunct at Johns Hopkins University, and I make it a point to surround myself with people who are younger and smarter than I am. And we have we we have serving in Annapolis and in local offices around the state now, a lot of smart young people, and they're from both parties. Mary Beth Carosa, very capable, very smart. Sarah Elfrith, Katie Fry Hester, uh, some of these newbies who are coming in from in, in, uh, in Prince George's and Montgomery County. I mean, just really smart, capable young people. So wow. I'm, I'm actually, I actually look at these results, and I actually, I actually get kind of excited about the opportunity to work with these folks. I really do. Um, I, th- look, I think we're going to have a lot of fun the next four years. Well, look at District 43, Mary Washington. District 45, Corey McRae, two bright shining stars in the state Senate. We're talking about 
some really fascinating people that will go to Annapolis and will get things done. And then you have Will Smith, who's from District 20, another Mm -hmm. rising star in state politics. And think about it, Lynn. You think to 2022 and people say, oh, Ryan, you're already thinking about four years from now. Well, yeah, of course. (laughs) That's our job to, to talk about these issues, to talk about candidates then it's the perpetual campaign it never stops with what on november 6th do people just think well we're going to take a break no we think ahead you have to right you mentioned it earlier angela also brooks uh peter francho calvin ball just to name a couple names off the top of my head could be Stuart Pittman. who knows Stuart Pittman could be a breakout star and Anna rundle and be a formidable gubernatorial candidate barry glassman up in Harford County, I bet he's going to run because he's term limited. And then, of course, Alan Kittleman could make a return. And then I want to say this. The biggest election news, post-election news, Lynn, it had to be this, the court ruling for the 6th Congressional District where they ruled that the district lines were unconstitutional. Yeah. And that is going to change everything, so much so – that Delegate Neil Parrott from District 2 in Washington County, where I grew up, announced on Friday at 1130 in the morning, pouring down rain, at a press conference with his, his family standing adjacent in the Hagerstown City Park. He is announcing an exploratory committee for District 6. And to think that David Trone, who is the congressman-elect who will succeed John Delaney, who is running for president in 2020, David Trone, there could be a possibility that he is redistricted out of the 6th Congressional out district, district, out of his district in 2020 after spending millions of dollars on, uh, on, over, on over two elections. And to think that that could happen. But I'm not so sure because I think David Trone is ready to, get, ready to get started. He's going to hit the payment. He was out the day after the election. And uh, we'll see. I'll, you know, look. We'll give him a chance to see how he does in Congress, to see what he does and how he approaches. And I guarantee you, you're going to see a more moderate David Trone over the next two years because he has to beat Lynn if he wants to win that re that 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 reelection and the six based on the lines. Well, those those district lines are an absolute embarrassment to the state of Maryland. It's a disgrace. They are the they are in the, they are the embodiment of everything that people dislike. And resent about the political process, and we talk a lot about the Annap. Actually, maybe we don't talk about the Annapolis machine. I talk a lot about the Annapolis machine. We know Peter Francho talks a lot about the Annapolis machine. Those districts, um, in in which in which Jesse Colvin, a smart young guy, uh, did four terms, uh, did four did did four tours of duty in uh, in the Middle East. Uh, serving his country, ran as a Democrat against Sandy Harris, forced to compete in a district that runs from Smith Island down off the coast of Somerset County all the way up to Tawny Town uh, at the Carroll County, Pennsylvania line, uh, a district that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever, while John Sarbanes' district extends like either a butterfly or a pterodactyl, depending on, depending on where you score on the Rorschach test. <laughs> The district that runs from Olney down to the Chesapeake Bay Bridge, and then a district that conjoins Montgomery County with the far western Maryland jurisdiction that David Trun uh, competed in and won. Um, th- those, that is that is a 
that is a classic situation of where self-interested lawmakers and politicians are going into a back room with a Sharpie and literally taking a red pen and drawing the lines that they want and drawing the lines of marking the voters they want to represent. And it's supposed to be the other way around. Voters are supposed to elect their representatives, not the way, wow. around, not the other way around. So I hope that I hope that at some point, Governor Hogan's wish for an independent redistricting process, one in which it's done fairly in a nonpartisan manner, it's done in terms of um, sensible considerations, it's basically done on the numbers as opposed to the politics. I hope it happens. It has to. I hope because so. Maryland's I, better than this. We talk about voter disenfranchisement. This gerrymandering is the heart of it. And I know that some Annapolis politicians are skeptical or not quite ready to sign on to the redistricting because, I guess, Pennsylvania and Virginia and Delaware and North Carolina, they haven't signed on to it. But get with it. This is a, an issue that – I, I, I don't care what other surrounding states are. Of course I care right. that, redi- that gerrymandering happens, but I want to fix Maryland. I live here. I'm going to stay here. I'm this a Marylander. is my home. Exactly. Uh, we're a Marylander. We want to see our districts fairly drawn that gives people the representation that we deserve. And there's no reason why Garrett County should be in the same congressional district as Potomac. Come on. It's silliness. And – Wherever they draw the belong, right? Garrett County doesn't belong with Potomac or uh, Damascus. Tawny Town doesn't belong with Critchfield. You've been in both places. There's not much. That's a hell of a long drive, and there's not a lot of you know shared issues there. Uh, Severna Park and Arnold doesn't belong in the same district as as uh, as Oxen Hill and Temple Hills. But there we have yeah. it. Um, because, because and what and the original this was originally done not only to squeeze another seat for the Democrats, but also to give also to give a, a prominent state senator at the time, a good guy named Rob Garagiola, a congressional <laughs> seat. What happened? He didn't even went out he didn't even make it out of the primary. You were out there during that time. Yep. If you'll recall, he lost the primary to to John Delaney, John Delaney. and John Delaney so this was all done for for uh, to pave the way for a a popular insider to ascend to Congress. It didn't happen. And meanwhile, we're left with this abo- this political abomination. Yeah, and I want so, to say another thing, just to briefly switch topics. Looking back at where I grew up in Washington County, the commissioner board elected five white male commissioners and say say what you want about that but the democrats in washington county the central committee that is they ran a stupid campaign they ran a stupid campaign for another a a number of reasons lynn local candidates who ran as democrats the candidates themselves were excellent they were excellent they were substantive they had a pulse on the county, and they ran on issues. Instead, you saw the Democratic Central Committee, who is who in Washington County, a guy by the name of Randy Barber, who is an Our Revolution guy, who is a mm. Bernie Sanders guy, 
and the rest of the committee members, the same, took over the Central Committee, and they ran a national campaign. They talked about Donald Trump. They talked about only vote Democrats, and they ignored local issues like they, they, they ignored commissioner issues about trust, about integrity, about ethics in the county commissioner board. And instead, they ran hard on Vangelis, and they lost big. The only elected Democrat countywide in Washington County is a guy by the name of Sheriff Doug Mollendor, and he was reelected. And they mm-hmm. just – Good man. In some place, yeah, great man. And in some places, Lynn, the Democrats and even the Republicans, like in Montgomery County – they don't know what they're doing, and then the and the Democrats up in Washington County who ran to the far left and destroyed the chances of some moderate candidates. They don't know what the hell they're doing either. And if you're going to run those types of in those types of areas where there's an overwhelmingly predominant political party and in power, you have to talk about issues and not party. And I don't understand why they don't get it. They wanted to run a national race, and they failed. And they have to suffer those consequences, Lynn. Do you, uh, do you think that the uh, that the dysfunction at the party level in Washington County with some Peter Perini, this did the numbers work against him from the start? Well, you know, I I don't know how to surmise about that like race, Peter. but it's, it's I like Peter. I had I and, and I. I thought I thought he was probably the the best chance uh, that uh, the Democrats had to get that seat back. Uh, you know, Paul Quarterman obviously being a uh, an appointed candidate to fill the seat of Brett Wilson when he was ele- elevated to the bench lost, and it wasn't that close. And uh, it's also worth noting that Washington County is one of the four jurisdictions in the state that that Peter failed to carry. So. We we know that there was a real drop off in party performance in Washington County this year. It's a Republican a county. It's, gonna, it's a Republican county. It, it's going to stay a Republican county. It wasn't always a Republican county back in the eighties and nineties. It was a different mm-hmm. type of county. It was more of a purple county. Frederick County is an example. That's a purple county now. It's not a Republican county. It's a purple county. Washington County. You go over to you go over the mountains. And you're in hardcore Republican territory, and Peter Perini was a hell of a candidate. The problem is that Larry Hogan – well, not a problem, but Larry Hogan is a well-respected, immensely popular candidate, and even in the city of Hagerstown, which is about 80 percent Democratic, they love him. And Paul Quarterman, it looks like he beat Perini by four or 500 votes, so take, take that – what what happened in that election of what you will, but also they ran some pretty negative ads from Annapolis on an outside spending, an outside political action committee, and they really lied about Peter Perini in some pretty awful ways. And if you followed that race, it was some of the most despicable ads, and I'm not saying Paul Quarterman yeah. had anything to do with it because he didn't, but even still, they ran some despicable ads against Peter Perini, and he and his family did not deserve that. Because he's a good man. I like Peter Perini. He's my friend. And they went through the ringer in that race and some really unfair, nasty stuff. And some people chalk it up as politics, and it's just the nature of the beast. I don't accept that anymore, Lynn. There's a difference. In a small community like Washington County in the city of Hagerstown, if you challenge a man's character, 
that's going to stick with him. And people make up their own assumptions. And a lot of times you, you make up these false stories. They don't get the time to respond. That lives with them. It hurts people and it hurts families. And I wish that politics would would change in that respect. But maybe I'm wishing, you know, maybe I'm wishing too much. But I I just hope that politics do change. But Peter Perini was, uh, yeah, he he just couldn't pull it out in in a in a county that's overwhelmingly Republican. And you know, Peter Peter Francho, that is not Peter Perini. Peter Francho came close in Washington County, as you know we. We've opened a new uh, we've opened a new uh, taxpayer branch office out there. We had one. We opened one that was bigger and better and more accessible to the public. We've done a new call center out there, and and it just and obviously it's not because we think there's a motherload of votes out there. We don't do it for Washington County. It's not a lot of votes in terms of the overall state. It is a Republican jurisdiction, but you know what? They pay the 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 day the day that we. Stop uh, with the day we stop focusing on all 24 counties in the state. That day is going to be that day will, will come when we start so segmenting tax returns into Republican tax returns and Democratic tax returns. When that happens, if we start marking tax returns with an R stamp and a D stamp, then fine. Until then, we're just going to keep treating uh, all of our taxpayers the same, getting the same level of service. Spend as much time in Washington County and Caroline County as we do the big metropolitan jurisdictions, because they need a voice in government. They need access as well. They need to be heard, um, and continue to sa- save the taxpayers' money like we would do our own. It's not that hard. It can be done. Um, and if you do those things, if you if you if you politic locally, you get out and you talk to people, you govern well. People will like the social liberal in, in, in red areas. Barbara McCall was no shrinking violent when it came to those social issues, was she? But she used to run the table yep. come election time because people knew that she got it. People knew that she knew them and that she cared. So yep. they'll tolerate this. They'll, they, they will tolerate disagreement. They're okay with it. They can handle it. But you got it. But you. But there's. But there's a way to go about it. You can't ignore these places and come out two weeks before election day and drop a few bandit signs out on the out on the highway median and expect to put up a number on election day. It doesn't work like that. Well, you're exactly right. Lynn, you know, as we wrap up the show, looking at the election results, now that we've had time to digest them and you know, some people rush to immediately tell us what these election results meant. I like to take a few days to to sit on it, to really look over what happened, to read as much as I can from journalists and to to look at the numbers. Now that you've had a time to digest this past election in Maryland, and it was a big one, what's your takeaway? If there's one good thing that has come from this train wreck, 20-car pileup that led to the meth lab explosion that has been the Trump presidency is that we are seeing a restoration of true civic engagement in our political process and that people once again are inclined to take a true sense of ownership over the outcome. And like I said before, people are taking time to digest the issues, they're going to candidate forums. 
they're the 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 researching the candidates. They're in the, they based on the based on the top sheets that we saw. Yeah, it was a good year for Democrats, but Larry Hogan also won with 56 percent of the vote. People are voting on the basis of candidates. They are voting smart, and as a result, our political system got a lot smarter on Tuesday. I'm I'm optimistic. I really am. If we can see that replicated in scale to the national level, we might be in for some better times ahead. That's what that was my takeaway from Maryland. Not everyone may agree. That's okay. That's what I saw. Similar thoughts. My final thoughts are people are happy to split their ballot and they're happy to vote for moderation. Some people, I am sure, voted straight party. Some people said Republican, Republican, Republican. Does it matter what they stand for, the content of their character? It matters that they have an R next to their name or vice versa or a D next to their name. Some people said vote Democrat to stop Trump. Well, that didn't work. And what I saw in Maryland is that people looked at the job that a sitting incumbent governor was doing and they ranked him on his job performance and they sent him back to Annapolis because they thought that he was doing a good job. And despite the attacks, despite the hard partisanship and during election seasons, Democrats and and Republicans, they accentuate the differences more so than the, the similarities. But I'm, what I'm seeing is leaders and Democratic officials and elected officials all over Maryland, even here in deep blue Montgomery, they're, gonna, they're saying, whether it's in public or private or on their social media, that, hey, we may have some disagreements with Larry Hogan. We're going to give him a shot again, and we're going to work with him where we can. And that is what makes democracy a great thing. And so, Lynn, you got it, pal. I'm I'm happy to do this anytime. This was a blast. We could have talked another two hours, but people are probably anxious to get to bed. And um, of course, this will be turned into a podcast. But Lynn, I appreciate you coming on, and it was a heck of an election season. It was fun, and I I believe that I hope that through this podcast and through a minor detail, I was able to contribute something small to this process. It may not have been big, but I can only get better from here. <laughs> I, I think I think the the, the giants of Tulsa County politics passed. The Clint Bradleys, the George Murphys, the Herschel Claggetts, the Bert Lamonts, I think I think they'd be looking at you right now and saying, you know what? He's a he's a he's a worthy heir to to, to the tradition. Uh uh you are the H and G of the modern age man and it's proud to be Belling up to the bar right alongside you. Well, Lynn, I always I appreciate your friendship. I, I thank you for um, what you and your team and uh, your your boss, what he does for the state of Maryland collectively. And I'm looking forward to Annapolis session. That's going to be an interesting ride to see what these four months entail, what Man. what type of policy is going to be passed, how some of these new legislators get their footing. And I'm going to be down there as much as I can. I'm going to bring my microphone, and I'm going to talk to these guys and gals, and we're going to have a great conversation. So with that, Lynn, I appreciate you coming on. Happy Sunday, and we'll, I'm sure you and I will be doing this again soon. 
Look forward to it, my friend. Best of Kim, and I'll talk to you soon. All righty. Take care. Have a great night. All right, friends, that was Lynn Foxwell, my good friend from Talbot County, Comptroller Peter Franco's chief of staff, and a political legend in the state of Maryland. We didn't get to everything. We didn't get to all the, the races. We still had some House of Delegate races that I wanted to talk about. The wins, the losses is now a majority Democratic council, which maybe four or eight years ago would be unheard of. Kathy Avzali lost that race, Republican, incumbent Jan Gardner, who is going to be a breakout star, I believe, in the next four years. And it would be wise for any Democrat to think of Jan Gardner as a formidable contender for a statewide election. I don't know what's going to happen, but look for people like Jan Gardner, Angela also Brooks, Calvin Ball, those three. Look for them to make a big name for themselves in the next four years. It's not always easy being uh, it's being a county executive. And here in Montgomery County, we elected Mark Elrich. And Mark is putting together a transition team. He's getting his ducks in line. He's going to hire his cabinet and appoint, or rather, appoint them. So there's a lot of moving parts in the state of Maryland. And I can't cover it all, but we can talk about what we can talk about. And there's going to be a lot of future opportunities to talk to newsmakers, newsbreakers. And I hope that you continue to listen to this show. We're live every Sunday night at 9 o'clock p.m. I'm going to be around as long as I can be. And my name is Ryan Miner. I'm your host of a Minor Detail Radio podcast. Find me on the web at aminordetail.com. Took a break. Going to start writing again. Have some things in the works that are going to be very exciting in the future for 2019. And I uh, just ask that you continue to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You can listen to us on TuneIn Radio. But subscribe, listen. And this, av- this episode, of course, will be available as a podcast after we complete this live show. Have a great week, everybody. To all of our veterans who are listening, thank you for your service. And never forget, have a great week.